0: Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. All right, thank you. You can have a seat. I want to just echo uh, Chris's words earlier. I'm thankful you're here today. If you're a guest this morning, watching online, we're thankful that you are here as well. I want to just mention uh, that we shared this last week, in case you missed it, uh, that we're going to say that prayer, the Lord's Prayer, every Sunday together in 2023, and uh, we imagine it being led many weeks by, I'll, I'll lead that, or Chris might lead that, but other weeks we might. Uh, involve some of you in helping lead that, and so uh, be ready for that. And, the, and re- the reason we're doing that is that for 2,000 years, uh, this prayer is a prayer that Jesus' followers have been praying. When Jesus's followers asked Jesus to teach them to pray, this is the prayer that he taught them. Uh, and so we, we're really excited about the practice of saying it together, hope it will become a spiritual, uh, like a memory for you, like something you can memorize and you have as like an available resource, spiritual resource in your heart that will always be available to you. And so uh, I'm excited about that. I want to also mention, speaking of spiritual resources, uh, there was a group of about 40, a little over 40, about 42 or 44, I think, men that uh, were at a men's retreat Friday night, Saturday. Some guys just could come on Saturday and they did that and that was great. Uh, And so if some of the guys this morning in here look like they're dragging a little bit, that might be the reason. But uh, we did that with uh, Eastern Hills Church of Christ in Athens. And uh, it was a rich weekend, a meaningful weekend, full of relationships, connection, uh, spiritual conversation, growth, talking about the ways that God works in our lives in the mountains and valleys. And so I'm mentioning that because if you are uh, a guy that missed that this year, we want you to make plans to be a part of it next year. We're looking forward to uh, what God might do with that. So last week we began a series uh, that's based on one verse in the Bible. Uh, it's only one verse, but it's a really important verse, and it comes from the prophet Micah in Micah 6 verse 8. And this is what it says, and I challenged uh, last week, also challenged everybody to memorize this verse during this series together. This is what it says in Micah 6 8. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. And so last week I did a lot of I did a lot of background and a lot of important background thinking about why Micah would say these words to the people of Israel. Uh, and so if you were out last week and you missed that sermon, it, I actually, you know, I'm not like saying this because I want you to go listen to my sermon, I actually think that if you're going to be here for any of the future weeks of this series, last week's sermon would be really important for you to hear because I do a lot of background in talking about that and so you might want to go find that. But the basic idea uh, was, is that, that within the nation of Israel, the rich were taking advantage of the poor, they were mistreating the poor, uh, citizens were exploiting each other. Uh, They were being dishonest with each other. They were lying and they were cheating. And Micah calls them on it. God sends Micah to call the people of Israel on their behavior. And when, when Micah goes to the people, they say, what does God want? Like, what does God want from us? Does God want more worship from us? Does God want more sacrifices from us? They thought that what God wanted was these things. their external worship practices. But it turns out they were wrong. What God wants was and wanted was their heart. God wanted them. What God wanted for them was to do and to love and to walk or to act justly, to do justice, to love mercy and to walk humbly with God. And so this is not only what God wanted for them, it's what God wants for each and every one of you too. And so for the next uh, several weeks, we're taking each one of these phrases act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly, and looking at those and exploring those together and thinking about those. And so today, uh, we'll look, now that the background of last week is behind us, we'll look at this first phrase that Micah mentions, acting justly, or acting in a way that is just, or doing justice. The Lord loves justice, and the Bible talks about justice often. N.T. Wright in his book Simply Christian makes the claim that our longing for justice, our longing for justice, for things that are wrong in the world to be right, comes from the fact that we're made in God's image, because God desires justice. And I think that, that he's right about that. I think the reason that around the world people care so much about justice, even if even if they don't have a faith in Jesus Christ, you see this idea of justice for people kind of come out of people. And I think it's because every human being, whether or not they recognize it, was made in the image of God. And it's a thing that's unique, right? This idea and this longing for justice is a thing that's unique to human beings. If one animal that is higher on the food chain than another animal eats that animal, right? The other animals do not gather around to protest the injustice that has taken place in this situation with the weak and vulnerable animal, do they? Right? No, in the animal world, the strong take out the weak. That's the way it works. But humans understand differently. We understand that that's not the way that it should be, right? That the weak and the vulnerable and people who live on the margins of our world have rights too. And so often when we, in our world, we hear cries for justice when someone who has power or influence, right, maybe it's a politician or maybe, you know, it's, it's all, I mean, whoever it is, right, it doesn't matter. But whenever, whenever people in our world are crying out for, for some, some sort of justice based on something that someone who has power or influence has done, if they've done something wrong, right, we understand that that happens because we live in a world where where people want things to be fair and they, they want things to be equitable and they want the guilty to be prosecuted. If someone is claiming, we want justice, and they're out on the street protesting for justice, it typically means we don't care who it is in the world that we live in. No one is above the law. And part of the reason that Micah is saying this here to Israel is that this is one of the main things that the Lord wants for his people to do justice, to act justly, to behave in a way that is just. And the focus of this phrase is really like laser focused on the human community, just the the society there within the the Israelite people. And here's what I mean. There, There were all sorts of things that were laid out for them, for the Israelites in the Old Testament law, about how they were to treat people. You can read on your own extensively about those, but I just want to, uh, there's a lot of legal and nor- like social norms and rules of the day. Uh, one of the places that those, you see those is in Exodus chapter 20 through Exodus chapter 23 or so. Uh, and, and so I want to, you can read the, the like details of those on your own at some point. I just want to give you a sample of, of kind of the way of life in the Israelite community and what they would have been very familiar with. Okay, so it begins in Exodus 20. That's where one of the places where the Ten Commandments show up, and the first four Ten Commandments deal with our relationship to God, but the last six of the Ten Commandments deal with Israel's relationship to uh, uh, to people, to everyone else, to each other. Uh, things like honoring your parents, honor your father and mother. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't give false testimony against your neighbor. Don't covet your neighbor's family or possessions, right? That's Exodus chapter 20, where over half of the Ten Commandments deal with how God wants Israel to relate to one another. And then, in chapter 21, in chapter 21, it gets super detailed about some of the other laws that God wants Israel to pay attention to. If you have a slave, they're to serve six years, but on the seventh year can go free. There are commands about what, what must happen if a bodily injury takes place, if somebody gets in a fight, right? If one person, if they get in a fight it goes too far and one person kills another person or beats them or harms them in any physical way, there's a law for that. There are protections for people's property. If someone steals or kills one of your animals, if a thief breaks in and steals something from your home, there are even laws about what's supposed to happen if someone, someone you know, starts a fire and the fire gets out of control and they're burning some trash or some brush and the fire breaks, you know, breaks out beyond the boundary and it begins to spread and then you have to track down whose fault it is and who started the fire, uh, who's responsible. There's, all sort, there's like language about that, something that specific, right? There are laws about social responsibility. Don't take advantage of a widow or an orphan. If you lend money to someone who is needy, don't charge interest when you lend that money. And then it goes on, like things like don't spread false reports. Don't deny justice to poor people. If a poor person comes to court and they have a lawsuit and they want to try to settle that, what was what was happening would be that they would that those, those that poor person would be taken advantage of because the the rich and powerful people knew that they didn't have any power, and so God institutes this law to say don't deny justice for someone who's poor just because they're poor, right? If if they're poor but they bring some legitimate case before the court, then let them hear let, that needs to be heard out. Have nothing to do with a false charge. Don't put an innocent person to death. It talks about don't accept bribes. Don't mistreat a foreigner. It says in Exodus 21, 22, 23, it talks about, "Don't, don't mistreat a foreigner. And then it says, because you were foreigners in Egypt, and because you were foreigners in Egypt, you should never oppress a foreigner in any way. And it just goes on and on and on. There's all these details about the way that God wants Israel to relate to one another and to the people that are not Israel outside of their nation. So why did all of these exist? Why were they given to Israel? I think the answer is because God cares about people, right? You could read, you could go through the Old Testament law and you could read it as overbearing. You're like, all right, God, we get it. It's a little bit, you know, it's kind of redundant. It's, there's lots of specific details about all sorts of things. You could read that as overbearing. You could read that as restrictive. You know, that's sometimes the way children look at rules, like, well, you just don't want me to have any fun. You just don't care about what my needs are, right? I mean, Israel could respond that way, and go, well, what are all these rules for? Like, what are, why do you got all these laws? God, like, just let us be who we're going to be. Or you could read it as trying to provide a way to give honor and care to other human beings. The problem when you get to Micah, that was an exodus. But the problem by the time you get to Micah is that though those things were the expectation, right, of how you're going to treat people. That was the expectation, just because that's the law, we know this in our world, just because the law says you should go 75 miles an hour on the highway, doesn't mean you, you pay attention to it, amen, right? But that's the expectation that you should, you should not go above that limit, right? When, it, when you see a stop sign, like the law says you should fully stop, but I know some of y'all roll right through the stop sign, Right? That's the expect that's not the expectation but you know there's a, so there's this kind of even though the law was the expectation by the time you get to Micah's day people are illegally taking each other's land and their possessions you can see that in Micah chapter 2 they're treating people in cruel and immoral ways Micah chapter 3 he addresses this they're selfishly cheating others so that their financial position is improved Essentially, they're they're living their lives in a way with little to no regard for other people. They're living their lives in such a way that expresses little to no regard for other people. And God's not pleased with this because they're in a relationship with God, right? They're they're covenant marriage to God, and in, in that, they agreed to not mistreat people. And so God sends Micah to remind them, hey, remember, what the Lord requires of you, write it down, he says, right? Number one, act justly towards your fellow people. Do justice towards your fellow people. And, and here's the thing, knowing that this was the culture, it, it started back earlier in the Old Testament, and knowing that it was still continuing, it's still something that Micah's is reminding the people of, knowing this was the culture, and there were all these laws and all these rules that existed in the Old Testament, it helps us understand actually why much later when Jesus comes to earth that he's asked this question in Matthew 22. This is what he's asked. Hearing that, he had, that, that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested Jesus with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Right. So here's some Here's some Jews that do know that law. Like, I just kind of ran through a summary of some of the laws. It's not all of them. And they know all of them, and they have them memorized, right? They are the law keepers. And they're now hearing Jesus do what he's doing, and so they come to him with this question. And They're like, we're going to get him now. We're going to trap him now. Which of these is the greatest commandment of all the commandments, of all the commandments that are in that law, which one is the greatest among those? Why are they asking this? They're asking, like, did all of those things that God told us in the Old Testament matter equally? Like, was that whole thing about treating a foreigner as serious as, like, that thing about starting a fire and it kind of getting outside the boundary? Like, were those, all, were those the same? Or can we get away with a void? Like, if I start a fire, and I see that it's kind of going over my neighbor's property, like, I mean, it could be his fault too, right? Maybe he didn't water his grass enough and it got, you know, and it, it so it was dry and it burned. Like maybe that's the reason the fire spread. Maybe it's not actually could does that really matter. Is there any wiggle room in that? That's what they're asking. Do we really need to pay attention to all the laws, to all the things that require us to be behave toward our fellow citizens in a certain way? He said, it's like it's like they're saying here, I mean, some of those laws are pretty detailed, Jesus, right? So surely something is greater than others. And then he says this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. All the law and the prophets, everything that you know, Pharisees, in the law, and everything the prophets said hang on these two things. What's Jesus doing here? What's he saying? You, you've heard me say this before, many of you. Jesus is saying loving God is equal to loving people, right? That's, that's why that part there is really important, and the second is like it. He doesn't say the second is less than it, and we have to really pay attention to that because I think sometimes we think love God, love neighbor, and that somehow they're here. What Jesus does here is he says, love God, love neighbor, equal. Not one and two, two number ones, right? They're both important. They're both equal. I think the fact, like he's saying, the, I think he is saying that like, the, the reason that the laws were given, Pharisees, in the first place was because of people. Like the law, the point of the laws was people, to protect people because God cares about people. So, therefore, how you love God and how you love your neighbor are the same thing. And this is still true, which is why we need just laws. We need laws in our world that are equitable for everybody. It's why, as Christians, I believe we should care. If our government doesn't have those kinds of laws in place, because we believe that a person's worth is eternally settled by one thing and one thing only that every person has unsurpassable worth because Jesus was willing to pay the ultimate price. So to love God is equal to love neighbor. And Jesus makes this, that He makes like the most fundamental. Like This is like Discipleship 101, essentially, right? To agree with that. To agree with that is like the basic idea of following Jesus Christ. And to reflect that agreement in how we treat people, how we think about people, how we speak to people, how we care for people. And I want to acknowledge that that's that's the reality, but I also want to speak just for a second to another way to think about justice. Because some of you may be kind of wondering about this. And that is justice as punishment, right? You'll hear sometimes in our world when a trial takes place or a consequence needs to happen because someone has done something, people will say what? They'll say, well, they got what they deserved, right? And the Bible does talk about this. It's what we know as retributive justice. This is punishment that's handed down, handed out to someone that has done something wrong. You do something wrong, there's a natural consequence that comes with it, that if someone has done something that's been deemed wrong in the society that you might live in, whoever it might be, it's against the law, that they should be, they should, there should be a consequence. They might need to be tried on, in court, they may, whatever it may be, for that action. And the Bible talks about retributive justice a lot, right, that you've done something wrong and there's a consequence that comes with it. But what the Bible speaks about way more than retributive justice is restorative justice. And this is really different. If retributive justice is like prosecution of someone who is guilty, they have actually done something wrong, right? If that's what retributive justice is, restorative justice deals with protection and provision for the innocent. It's a different kind of justice. And for Israel... There was this really strong commitment to the community. I mean, we live in a world where most, many people, if not most people, uh, are so individualistic that we think about our individual self before we think about the community. Rarely, and this is not a knock on any of us. It's just the world that we live in. We have to. I think we have to always battle this and work realize that as followers of Christ, we need to resist this natural default behavior tendency. But I think that our first, like, if, if you have a question, like, in, if you have, you have, like, a decision to make in your life, and you're like, well, this would be good for me, but this would be good for the community, rarely do people choose what's good for the community over what's good for them in our world. But for Israel, that was normal, to choose the community's value over their thing that they might want to do. And so all of these standards and expectations are basically describing in the Old Testament, how to have respect and care for other people in the community. And justice is the word that gets, that that the prophets used that, that gets used to describe this like social obligation. Justice insists on the rights of others, how people are treated, especially the weakest members of a society. You might say it this way. This is like a summary definition that I've kind of worked together for just to kind of keep it in your mind. You might say it this way, acting justly means living in a way that everyone else has the opportunity to thrive. Acting justly means living in a way that everyone else has the opportunity to thrive. This is what God wanted for Israel. This is why God sent Micah to speak to Israel. God wanted an environment where everybody could flourish, And we see in the New Testament, we see this continue, this idea continue in the New Testament with Jesus and his kingdom, that in God's kingdom, Jesus talks about God's desire for us is to live in such a way that everyone has the opportunity to thrive, that everybody has the opportunity to flourish. And, And as an example, honestly, I'm not exaggerating about this, we could look at almost any story that Jesus ever told. Almost any story, but I'm going to look in Matthew chapter 20. And in, in Matthew chapter 20, just to kind of set up part of this story, there's a man who owns some land. And some of you know this story. He goes out early in the morning. He owns this land. He goes out early in the morning to hire people to work the land. And he hires a group of people at 6 a.m. He hires a group of people, a group of people at 9 a.m. And he hires a group of people at noon and he hires a group of people at 3 p.m., and then he hires another group of people at 5 p.m. Like at the end of the workday, people are ready to clock out, and he's still hiring people to work in his land. And at the end of the day, when all the payments are being handed out for the work for all these employees, the ones who started at 6 a.m., at 9 a.m., at noon, at 3 and at 5, the workers that get hired at 5 p.m. get paid as much as the workers that were hired at 6 am. That's wrong, they say. The early workers begin to complain. We worked all day. This isn't fair? You remember this? You remember this story? You remember what the landowner says? Listen to how Jesus tells a story in Matthew 20, picking up in verse 13. After they've protested, And said, this isn't right. I've been working out here all day long for you. Jesus says, but he answered one of them, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. I love that he calls him friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who is hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? That's the end of the story. But then Jesus adds this line. So the last will be first and the first will be last. Don't I have the right to be generous with my own money? The landowner asks. Like Jesus is using a story here about a boss being equitable with his employees to make a point. And there might be some points to be made about the finance side of that. But the point actually, the main point is actually found at the beginning of the story where Jesus says that this, this picture, this picture that Jesus makes up with this parable of a story, this is what Jesus says, the first line of the story, for the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. That's the point of the story. What is the kingdom of God that Jesus came to establish on earth as it is in heaven like? It's like a man who owns a vineyard and went out early in the morning to hire people and hired them all day and then paid them all the same amount of money at the end of the day. Come on now, be honest. I mean, doesn't it make some of us mad? You would be mad if you were the worst, the person who got hired at six a.m. You would be saying exactly what these people said. The kingdom of heaven's like that. People who show up late to work. Because they stayed out too late the night before or overslept or maybe just stood around most of the day for whatever reason. Like there's some assumption you have to make as you interpret the story. But for whatever reason, they didn't get hired. For whatever reason, they did not get hired. But they got paid the same amount as the people that showed up early and worked all day. Come on. Right? Like that, it's gotta, it's gotta set a little, seem a little off to those of us who don't operate in this way, which is all of us. Does that seem fair as we understand fairness? Really? No, hardly, hardly at all, if at all. And yet two times, two times in this parable, verses 4 and 13, the owner says that he is doing what is right or just. Like this is a story that many of us know and have not seriously considered because it is a hard teaching. It's a hard teaching from Jesus Christ. And it says that what Jesus is interested in is a society, a people, a kingdom, a community, where everyone has the opportunity to thrive. I think he's saying that people matter. I think he's saying that restorative justice matters care and concern for the weakest member, the least of these is what matters to Jesus. So the question as we consider this call from Micah 6.8 to do justice, to live in a way that is just, to act justly, the question is, what's our response? Well, the first thing I think we have to acknowledge is that we believe that God is at work in the world, right? We agree with that. We believe that even with all the darkness and the evil and the struggle that we see and that we hear reported on in our world, everywhere around the world, or even feel in our own lives, we have this deep faith that God is still here, working and moving and leading people and pointing us in a different path, down a different path. But we believe that but we also believe that it is not just God's job to repair the world. We believe as followers of Jesus that because our king is working to make the world a better place and working to change people's lives, that, what our, that we have a responsibility as well to partner with God in that work of res- restoration, of restorative justice. So how do we partner with God? How do we act justly or do justice? Here's how. This is, this is this, the one sentence takeaway that I would want to give about this idea. How do we act justly or do, do justice? This is how we do it. Anything that we believe that God wants to do one day in the future when Christ comes back and all is made new and every tear is wiped away and all the sad things that are, that, that are wrong in the world are undone by God's return Anything we believe that God wants to do one day or things that he wants to see done one day, we work for now. Anything that God intends to do one day, we work for now. So just as a really quick list of examples, this is why our church partners with organizations like Mercy Project, because we don't think that there should be children living in slavery now because we know that there's a day coming when there will be no children in slavery, right? This is why we have a Hope Center across our parking lot because we believe that everybody should have a place to live and sometimes people find themselves in hard enough situations that they have worked hard and circumstances have just not worked out and they don't have a place to live and we have places to provide and so we have this is why we partner with organizations like the center and city square in Dallas here at the center here in Kaufman and the city square in Dallas which both work to provide food and resources for people living in our city and in our region who are on the margins who are who are poor and who are struggling in a variety of ways right because we want, to, we want to be a part of that work because we think those things are going, are, are going to end one day. There will be a day when there is no more homelessness or hunger or houselessness in our world. And so we want to work for that now. But it's not just our mission efforts. It'd be easy to go, well, I'm giving my money and we're doing that stuff through our church. No, it's, it's also an individual responsibility to begin that work in our own lives, creating flourishing for any and every person in whatever way we can. And so, yes, will there be hungry people? The question that I, the way I think about it is like this Will there be hungry people in eternity? And if the answer is no, then feeding hungry people now matters. Will any of our enemies be with us in eternity? This might be a little closer, hit a little closer to home. And if the answer is yes, and it is, then loving our enemies now matters. Will we ultimately need to forgive one day, hopefully before we take our last breath? And if the answer is yes, which it is, then starting now with the work of forgiveness matters. Acting justly. Acting justly is loving people no matter what no matter who they are or no matter what they've done, to want for them all that you have and more. This is what Micah says. God has shown you, O mortal, what is good, to do justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Let's pray together. Father, we come this morning mindful of the reality, the realities of what you have done for us, that you have taken our lives and transformed us into the people that we are. You've made us new creatures, new creations as we've been formed and washed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And we see, God, that you're at work in the world, doing justice, caring for those who are the least of these, and that you call us to this same life to live in a way that is just toward those around us. To love people, no matter who they are or what they've done, to want for them all that we have and more. We know that this is your picture, God, of of what human flourishing looks like. And we know that that there is a day that is coming when all the wrongs in the world will be made right. And so we pray you'll give us the courage. To live in that way that will happen one day, starting now. To be your people in this place. Give us wisdom and ideas and creativity and clarity about how we go about that, about how we partner with one another, with other churches, with organizations, whoever it may be that will be about the work of doing justice in this world, restorative justice caring for those around us that you love, loving you and loving our neighbor because we understand that this is together the greatest commandment. We pray that you'll give us courage, Father, on the journey. I'm thankful for a church that is committed to this work and I pray that you'll continue to renew our commitment to it today and in the days ahead. We pray through the all-powerful and mighty name of our brother and savior, Jesus Christ. And the church said, amen. Would you stand with me this morning? We're going to sing a song together. We'd love to invite you into a time of prayer, praying with somebody around you. Maybe you want to let us know. You can text a prayer request in as well. Uh, However you need to respond to God, let's do that, and we'll sing this song and be led in our final shepherd's prayer.